Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. This is the Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some bees talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate Pod on WEEI. Woo! Welcome into episode 211 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Originally, Bridget and Scott, we were scheduled to record tomorrow on Wednesday. However, on Tuesday, Patrice Bergeron, after almost 20 full calendar years since his his NHL debut in October of 03, he has officially announced his retirement. And there are a million things we have to discuss. But Bridget and Scott, your initial reactions when you when you heard the news, were you surprised? I mean, last last podcast we we were discussing the Bruins next season, going under the assumption that Bergeron were to return. Of course, still listen, but throw that out the window. So there's definitely a lot to talk about regarding next season and thereafter replacing Bergeron. But first and foremost, there's there's the celebration of one of the greatest Bruins to ever lace him up and just that officially coming to an end. Yeah, and it's one of those things that it's not surprising because we knew he was, you know, legitimately debating on the fence, hadn't made decision. You know, there hadn't really been any strong indications one way or another. So you, you knew it was a possibility. And yet, like, it, when it happens, there is still that element of surprise of just, like, wow. It, like, it's actually over. Like you said, 20 years, 19 seasons. Um, you know, a, a guy who obviously is still a really good player, just won his sixth Selkie trophy. Um you know, was the first line center on the greatest regular season team in NHL history. So, you know, there's still game left. You know, he can still do it. But obviously, you know, he, as he said in his very long statement, which, you know, we won't read the whole thing here, but encourage people to read it either. You know, Bruins posted it. We have it. I have it in the article on WI.com. Um, You know, he just felt like it was time. He, he said he knew it was time. Uh, he did just have his fourth child. It's, you know, he's been doing it a long time and, you know, I, I do think like he took his time and made sure it was right. I'm sure now, now that he's, a, he has officially retired. It makes me think that he was probably leaning that way right at the end of the season, if not even before then at some point, 
leaning towards last year being his last season. But I'm sure he wanted to make sure that it it really was right. Give it the time to settle in and all that. And and obviously he has. You know, we're now almost three months out from when their season ended. Um, and it, it clearly has sunk in for him. And, uh, you know, and he now makes it makes it official. But, yeah, it's just – it is just crazy to think about. Like, it's just – you know, just going, like, on my own timeline. It's like I've been covering him in one capacity or another for over a decade. And yet there was, like, almost a full decade of his career even before that, going back to – my freshman year of high school in 0304. Like that's just crazy to think about. It's like, that's, you know, over half my life, well over half my life that Bergeron has been on the Bruins. So yeah, you know, just really crazy to reflect on. Yeah, no, it is. And this morning, like seeing the news initially, I was kind of surprised. I, I know we knew and Scott and I from, you know, breakup day on we're both kind of like 50 50 on whether or not we thought he was gonna come back and Brian you last week made me really optimistic because uh, and the main reason was just that it would have made like his career ending being the centennial season made a lot of sense to me um like wanting to be the captain for the centennial season um but if you read his statement he said he's listening to his body um, that it's time. And so that tells you that health wise, he may be, and he said he wanted to go out on his own terms. So maybe he was worried about this upcoming season, suffering some setbacks, um, health wise, wasn't sure if he was going to be able to make it, um, and go out on a high note. Um, you know, you could argue, I mean, with the way the Bruins season ended this year, uh, postseason ended it wasn't really a high note regular season was a high note postseason not so much but um I did I did think he would come back I was leaning towards thinking he would come back for the reason of wanting to captain the centennial team but then um you know family and health seemed to be pretty much the two biggest factors in him deciding to uh hang him up and I mean obviously really well written statement from him he's a very thoughtful person when you go through he actually did talk about the media he said I thought that my coverage has been really fair from the time I got into Boston um which is true I think people well besides a few names that I won't name have been pretty fair to Bergeron and understood uh like his character accurately portrayed it um so he's been he's been such a huge figure in Boston sports. And I went back this morning and I, I woke up instead of like watching TV, I opened up YouTube and was watching Bergeron uh, like highlights. Uh, obviously the overtime game winner against Toronto was on all of the highlight compilations of Bergeron's best career moments. Uh, his two goals in the Stanley cup final against Vancouver, including the, the very first goal in that game, which kind of put the Bruins uh, in the driver's seat, uh, and some of his fights too, actually, <laughs> like when people, before people realized he was a Southpaw and just, just, you know, I uh, forget who that first fight was against, but he just, Not George's. yeah, George's and he just like, uh, totally surprised him with a couple of lefts. And, uh, that was, I think that was probably the only fight he won. <laughs> he lost a, badly to Malkin and Wheeler and other fights, but I spent the morning just going through, uh, some of those 
clips from, you know, some of them, like the quality is funny to even look at because I remember watching them live, but then like looking at it now, it's like the quality looks so bad that it looks like it's from so long ago. And then I'm like, oh shit, it is from so long ago. Yeah, I know it's, 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 it really is amazing what he's done in Boston uh, for, for the game of hockey and, and, I definitely want to give each of us an opportunity to kind of just talk about, you know, his, his body of work, but I guess it does make the most sense to just start off with what you guys did, which is just the initial reaction to it. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, Scott, to your point, you say it's surprising and yet it's not surprising. Like cognitively, I know he's been playing since, I was having two snacks and two recesses back in 2003. It's been a long time. I get it. But at the same, at the same time, how did you sneak a second recess? I don't know. How did you manage that? Well, we would have, we would have recess after snack and then recess after lunch. Oh, okay. But anyway, um, so yeah, it's, it's been a long time, a long time, but at the, but at the same token, yes, he did just win a Selkie and he is still of, a first line caliber player. So yes, he's very much doing what most professional athletes probably don't do. And, and, and he's, he's, he's quitting while he, or not quitting. That's the wrong term. He's retiring while he, he still has some left in the tank. I was surprised because I did believe that Bridget, you mentioned it. Yes. Like I felt as though that, it would have been a nice ribbon on his career to just kind of have his 20th season coincide with the team's 100th season. And regardless of what happens next year, whether they make the playoffs, win the cup, miss the playoffs, whatever, like he was just going to do that one last year. He was going to take part in all the different heritage nights and, and all the ceremonial puck drops with different Bruins throughout the, the franchise's history and whatnot. And yes, by the Bruins management another year, to try to find a first line center after him. Uh, but to your point, Bridget, that didn't happen. And, and yes, reading his, his memo. Yeah. He, his body, his body doesn't feel up to it anymore. And, and, and as rational as it seems to be like, just play the 20th year in their hundredth year and go out, like, that's all well and good. But when your body's telling you something, you can't argue that. And, and I remember last year, I'm sorry, at the end of this year, we were kind of talking about speculating if he would come back. And one of the things I did say about him not coming back would be it just kind of felt like after playing the entire season, just about this year, the regular season, his body held up the entire time. The team goes on the run that they did. And then right before the playoffs, he ends up getting hurt. I just kind of felt like that just must have seemed discouraging for him to want to come back again. Like, what if he comes back again and you just something happens and it just all amounts to maybe it not being worth it and the body just, you have to listen to it. So there were a lot of reasons why I was optimistic. He would come back for one final year, but when your body tells you that it's time to, to, to hang him up and along with certain family aspects, then there's no arguing that. And it's unfortunate for the Bruins because one more year would have probably done the franchise uh, a little bit of extra time to find a replacement. But now now uh, judgment day is here for for Bruins management. Uh, Krejci's probably done, and and Bergeron's done. So um, we'll see what they roll out next year. But I was definitely a little surprised just because of the reasons I mentioned. But I mean, yeah, 
Yeah, I'm yeah. also surprised that Krejci wasn't the first one to – like, Krejci, we still haven't gotten the Krejci decision, um, which he was the one that we kind of were thinking we might know earlier because he said he would have his decision in a few weeks, and then um, we're still <laughs> we're still waiting. I mean, Krejci could still be back. We don't know. Well, Krejci's always been the more indecisive of the two. Um which, you know, he, he knows and, and said he wasn't going to be that this time, but still was. But based on, like, the most recent comments we heard from Krejci, it sounds like his decision is retire or go play in Czechia again. Um, the comments he made to a no, Czech he, news, newspaper. Um, you um, know. That's not what I got from when we talked to him on Breakup Day. No, well, I'm talking since then. I'm talking, like, oh. just a few weeks ago and talked to the Czech newspaper and said... Um, you know, if he was going to come back, it was going to be with the goal of playing in the World Championships in Prague next spring, which means not playing in the NHL because the NHL playoffs overlap with that. So, um, But yeah, when he, he talked to us, he said he would either play for the Bruins or retire. And right. so he's... Yeah, and then so. to my point of indecisiveness, he has since changed his mind, and now it sounds like it's retire or play back home again. So... Um, retire, retire or retire is what I'm hearing. <laughs> Yeah, so e either way, it seems very unlikely that he's back with the Bruins. So, uh, yeah, so, you know, it leaves you with Pavel Zaka and Charlie Coyle as of now as your top two centers. And, you know, we can get into, we will get into, you know, are there other options? Can they still do something? What does the team look like if that is what they have at center? Um, you know, I do think it's important to know, like, for Bergeron, yeah, as much as I'm sure he cares about what comes next and helping the organization and all that. It also can't be the deciding fact, you know, you know what I mean? Like he can't make his decision about whether to come back or not. He can't base that on where the organization is or the team is, or whether they have a center lined up. Like he has to do what's best for himself. And if he, you know, has taken all this time, talked things through, thought about it, weighed all his options and decided, no, it, it's time for me. And, you know, I'm sure he looks at it and goes, boy, you know, the team really could use another center. Like, they could really use me next season. I'm sure he knows that. But ultimately, if you know it's time for you, if you know that what's best for you is to retire and not put your body through another season, not put your family through it with a newborn, like, if you know that, then – you retire, you take care of yourself. And that's someone else's job to figure out what the center situation is going to be. You know, that's not, yeah. Bergeron cares about that and has done his part to help the team out in numerous ways over the years, including taking a very team friendly deal last year, but you know, it's not his job to, to find his own replacement. So um, yeah, like I'm sure it, I'm sure it was in his mind. I'm sure he thought about it, but what goes into his decision are things that are bigger and more important than, than that. I'd be interested, Scott, because tomorrow, so Wednesday, I think it's at 1130, Bergeron has media availability, and uh, Scotty's going to head down there and talk to him, I assume. Um, yeah, but, I will be there. But uh, I would go, but I, I might have time to still go, but I have Red Sox tomorrow. But, um, yeah. So my, like, I'd be interested to know, and I'm sure someone is going to ask him, uh, 
but I mean, maybe we'll even do a reaction podcast on some of the stuff he says, because I'm sure there's going to be a lot there um, about how much that his back has, he, his back injury that he suffered uh, at the end of the regular season and, and struggled with through the playoffs and missed time with in the playoffs, how he feels about like, is that healed? Um, like how much did that factor in how, like, is the recovery been an issue for that and um, how much that uh, factored into his decision to listen to his body, so to speak, and decide to not play this year. Yeah. And on the health front, it, it hasn't been confirmed anywhere and I haven't confirmed it, but it is worth noting that Rich Keefe reported, uh, you know, this is probably a week or two ago that Bergeron had had hip surgery. Um, no idea the severity of it. You know, there's all different levels of hip surgery. Um, but as much as people like to maybe mock Keith with like the Pasenak thing, Keith was also the first one this morning to tweet out that he was retiring. He tweeted that about an hour and a half before the announcement came out. So, and Keith was right about the Pasenak thing, by the way. He was, yeah, told, on, on the that numbers, is what for he sure. was told. Like, I still believe that Keith had that story right. And then, and that the Bruins, or not the Bruins, but somewhere in the negotiations, things changed between the time Keith had it and they, you know, uh, changed their minds about it. But I still think Keith knew what, like, was in the loop on that too. Yeah, it's it's clear that he has a pretty good source, even if it's been slightly off or not quite at the timing right on things. But yeah, obviously he knows someone and he's getting pretty solid information. So. I'm assuming what he tweeted about the hip came from that person or, you know, through that person somehow. So, um, you know, I wonder if like that, that's part of it or if we don't, we just don't know. We don't know if that was serious or not. Don Sweeney was asked um, on free agency day, if he had like any update on Bergeron's health and he, you know, kind of sidestepped it, but said like, as far as we know, everything's good there. So, uh, he at least wasn't like letting on if there was any sort of major health concern. So I feel like, and I'm, I feel like we might want to allot some time towards the end, maybe to kind of go over Bergeron's body of work. I think it might just make more sense to kind of go where do they go from here? Just it just feels more more natural. So I mean, Christ, yeah. I mean, Scott, you said it. I mean, Zaka coil up the middle as it is right now, and your third center is Morgan. Morgan Geeky or uh, Frederick. Yeah. Frederick. One at center, one on the wing. Um, you know, your, your, your top, your, your top line as it would be right now would be something along the lines of coil, uh, DeBrusque and Marchand or Zaka DeBrusque and Marchand. And, or you have Van Riemsdyk and Pasternak. I mean, I mean, there's, there are, we talked about it last week. You, you don't have Bergeron. You, you now have two significant holes in your top six and, uh, the forward, the forward cores. Yeah. You have an elite 60 goal score. You have a top five left wing in the league and Brad Marchand still, I would, I would argue, but you know, that uh, there it, it's, it's tough. It's tough to, to put a, a contender together when you're missing some key pieces like that. So if you're the Jacobs, are you, are you okay with this going into your centennial season? I mean, there is no buzz right now for this Bruins team going into the centennial season other than certain aspects of a centennial season. I mean, sure, Lucic will come back and get a good pop from the crowd this first couple of shifts, but, you know, the dust is going to settle pretty quickly, and it's it's tough to sell a team with 
you know, a borderline top two center and Zaka as your number one center. And it's just tough. So is, are there deals to be made out there? Or are they just, and we've, we've, we've asked this question before, but now that we know Bergeron's officially done, where do they go from here between now and, and, and training camp? And what, what do you think? What do you guys think? Can I start? Um, so I actually also this morning went back and watched the first, the first 20 goals of Bergeron's 2023 season. So this previous season, and I'm just worried about how it's going to affect Jake DeBrusque because a lot of the goals, Bergeron's goals were set up by obviously Marshawn and DeBrusque and they worked really well together. Um, and I just feel like when you put say Coyle or Zaka as the center with DeBrusque, um, I just don't know how that looks, right? Cause we haven't seen it. Um, and uh, they had that Bergeron, DeBrusque, Marshawn line at different points in the season looked really good together. So that's just one thing that popped into my head when I was going back over some of those goals. And also how freaking good that team was this year in the regular season and how fun they were to watch because like rewatching the goals, I was like, and then I'm watching some of them and there's Taylor Hall and it's like, okay, no more Taylor Hall. Krejci's there, Bergeron, like you're, it's going to be completely different than uh, the lineup from last season, maybe the best lineup the team will ever have um, to not bad. Um, so yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be such a different look. It's going to affect the wingers a lot. So, I mean, we saw career high seasons for DeBrusque um, and for other players because they were, you know, playing alongside such good centers. Uh, those numbers are not going to be there this year. Yeah. It's like you could, you know, load up a top line of Marshan Zaka and Pasternak. And I think that would be a really good line and, you know, potentially one of the five to 10 best in the NHL. Like Martian and Pasternak alone lift any line up a lot, but then that leaves you with the second line of Van Riemsdyk coiled DeBrusque. And like, if we're just being real about it, like that's a third line. And I think if that's your second line, like any, we've talked about, you know, can Van Riemsdyk bounce back and maybe get into the mid twenties and goals and, you know, look a little more like a second liner than, you know, than he did last year or, you know, ideally he's probably a third line at this point, but can you get guys around him to, to kind of elevate? Well, I don't think that happens if it's Coyle and DeBrusque on his line. So then, you know, you look at, okay, do you start splitting guys up? It, like, do you go Vin Reams, Dyke, Zaka, Pasternak? Martian, Coyle, DeBrusque played together in the playoffs and looked pretty good, you know, while Bergeron was out. So I don't, you know, I don't know, but either way, it's like you're clearly you're a top two center short. You're a top six wing short. Uh, you know, your third line looks more like a three and a half line now. Like it's not, you know, say it's, I don't know, Lauko, Geeky, Frederick or whatever, something like that. It's like, well, that's probably that's better than like a fourth line, but I'm not sure that's a really strong third line. Like you hope it becomes that, but yeah, you just you have a lot of questions up front. Your your defense and goaltending still looks really solid among the best in the NHL, and that'll get you somewhere. That'll help you win a lot of games, probably closer, lower scoring games. But it's like, man, there's your 
you're asking Pasternak to do again what he did last season because he's going to need to carry at least that heavy of a load. You're asking Marshan to look like prime Brad Marshan again. We know he wasn't quite that last year, and we know you know the double hip surgery lingered. He didn't have a real off season, um, you know, regular off season training. So you hope that he's completely healthy and comes in and has that el- truly elite level of, you know, someone who's in the hundred point neighborhood still there because that's what you're going to need. Like to be a good offensive team, those two are going to have to have outstanding seasons, like MVP candidate type seasons. And that's a, that's a lot to put on two guys, you know, especially when one of them, Marshand is 35 years old. Like that's, you're, you're asking a lot. So and you now need Saka to take another step, right? He had a breakout season. You need him to be even better. So, um, yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a lot of hoping. And you're and you're asking those guys to do it on lines that they don't have, like they haven't already established chemistry with. Like Marshawn has been playing with Bergeron for so long. Like you're asking him to now do it without Bergeron, and so you're asking for his best season at that age of you know 35 and and with a different center. And hopefully, I mean. I do think a lot hinges on Zaka um, and his ability to become Bergeron kind of um, to morph into a Bergeron style player, which he can be. Um, He plays a 200 foot game. He looked good filling in for Bergeron at center in the playoffs, but I feel like so much hinges on his ability to make that transition smoothly because uh, he's a natural center and was drafted as a center but he's not been used as a center really for the Bruins too much besides if you have recency bias, you know, towards the end of the season he was, but most of the season he was on the wing and most of his career in New Jersey, he was on the wing. So uh, it's hoping that he can transition smoothly to that. And I also, I feel like I personally would keep him with Pasternak. Um, rather than put him with Marshawn. But um, just because that is, uh, those two at least have played together um, and have more chemistry because even though Zaka wasn't always playing center with Pasternak last year, they were together um, and kind of already have that built in, knowing where each other is on the ice. So uh, that would leave you with Marshawn center being Coyle more than likely. Yeah, unless unless they did what Scott suggested and maybe put Zaka with Marshand and Pasternak, but you know, yeah. you're, you're you're quote unquote loading up a line, even though you're loading up a line with to your point, Bridget, a center who hasn't really proven himself as a, as a true center in the league. I mean, but yeah, it's it's I mean, clearly the other thing too is all of these things would have to go right, like you said, MVP caliber seasons from from Marshand and Pasternak. Does lightning strike twice for Pasternak? I mean, yeah, he has the skill set to do it, but when you're literally the only scoring threat now, one of the only legit scoring threats on a team, I mean, teams were focusing on him last year, but they had they had incredible depth last year. This year coming up, it, it would be they would be on him like what on rice. And then yeah, Bridget, to your point, it's a great point. Marshand is going to be without Bergeron, who's been his running mate since he broke into the league. So to expect him to have an MVP caliber season at his age without you know, his, his bread and butter. That's, that's a tall task. 
And and furthermore, you know, last year they they had incredible depth. I, you know, right now they have they have okay bottom six depth right now, I suppose. But last year they had they had high end depth where oh David uh, David Krejci goes down for ten games. Your number two center. That's that that's not ideal. Oh well, here comes Pavel Zaka. You don't skip a beat, right? Or um, yeah, Taylor Hall goes down. Or okay, let's bring in Tyler Bertuzzi. Like it's just they don't have that luxury this year, so they also have to be incredibly healthy. One thing that comes to my mind is, and this kind of stems into the question: like, do they try to acquire a number one center somehow the rest of the summer? I don't know if I mean, look, there there's potential trades to probably still be made. I don't know if the Bruins really have the the assets, but. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When's the last time? And, and, and the answer to this truly might be never. You'd probably have to look back well before our time, I would say. Well, maybe Jason Allison years. My, let me start with the questions. So you guys aren't wondering what I'm asking. When's the last time the Bruins entered a season without a true number one center? I mean, even I mean, the last 20 years, you've had a combination of Bergeron, Mark Savard, Joe Thornton. Even during years where the Bruins were kind of down, you always had a number one center. Um, and then, so that's why I was kind of thinking, all right, maybe like, maybe like 99, 2000, maybe Jason Allison was their number one center. And, but I think Jason Allison for a cup of coffee was pretty decent in the league. So even he wasn't that much of a drop off as a one C and then, you know, you go back down to the Bork Neely era. I mean, you had, you had Oates and Janney, I think, and it's been a long time. It's been a long time since the Bruins have entered a season without a bona fide number one center. Um, so I'd be that's that's kind of why I'd be surprised if the Jacobs allowed that to happen going into their hundredth season with all eyes on them. But I don't know if there's anything they can do about it. Yeah, it just off the top of my head, like it probably would be pre-Oats, I guess, depending on how high you were on Janney at the time. Like he was just coming out of BC. 
So it's probably somewhere in that, you know, late 80s, early 90s. I don't enough, like when they went to two cup finals, but there was some turnover there for a few years. So it's like maybe around then. But, I, you know, I'd probably have to look closer at those teams. But yeah, to your point, a, a long time. Um, you know, even around Allison, it's like you had, you also had Joe Thornton, you know, establishing himself at that point in his career where he maybe wasn't quite a true number one star yet, but like you, you knew it was coming. He was getting better each year, putting up more points. So um, yeah. It, and you know, look, maybe Zaka is that guy. Maybe, like maybe he, you know, last year was a huge step forward from where he'd been previously. Maybe there is another big step still to come. Like he had 57 points last year. Who's to say he doesn't get to 70 this year. You know, is he a guy who grows to 80 at some point? Like, you know, Bergeron and Krejci, it's not like they were ever putting up 100 points, but they were consistently anywhere from 65 to 80 that you could just count on. And and in Bergeron's case, obviously, elite two-way play. And Krejci's, for the bulk of his career, really good two-way play. Um, you know, I do think Zaka can at least be a really good two-way center. I don't know if he has Selkie trophies in his future, but... Um, hey, now that the king's out of the way, it's up for grabs. It's <laughs> a... More, more yeah. candidates have an actual chance now. But, like, the, that jump I mentioned to, like, Zaka being a 70-point guy, like, I don't think that's crazy. I think he could do that. So, you know, maybe you're – I certainly think he can be one of their top two centers for years to come. Um, yeah, that question's obviously finding the other one because we don't think it's Coyle, who's, you know, 31 years old now and a good player. But with all due respect, like, He's had one season in his career over 50 points and generally he's been more in the 40 to 45 range. You know, maybe if he has Martian on his wing for an extended stretch, he gets a, you know, a little higher offensively, but um, yeah, if you're Don Sweeney, like you're certainly at the very least you have to be any, I'm sure he already was, but you have to be poking around every possible Avenue to find a number one center because, you know, even if you're high on, Georgie Merkulov and or Matthew Poitra, and you hope that those guys grow into that kind of role. You can't assume that. And at the, you know, that's not happening this year anyways, unless one of them just takes like a massive step forward, but most likely that's at least a year or two away anyways. So yeah, you're looking and, you know, we mentioned it before, but two of the big center names that were rumored to be on the trade block or potentially available where Mark Shifley in Winnipeg and Elias Lindholm in Calgary. And those guys haven't moved. They're still there. They also haven't signed new contracts. So, you know, their situation is the same. They're both still going into the final year of their contracts and they're with, they haven't been traded yet. So yeah, maybe you can circle back on that and see if there's something there. But for the most part, the, the overwhelming majority of offseason roster building around the league is already done. So, you know, I'm sure Winnipeg and Calgary are at this point operating like those guys are back. And if things go south and they have to explore trading them in season, I'm sure they will. But, um, you know, it probably takes a lot to get one of those guys at this point. That's what and, I was just thinking. You're probably losing one of your goalies. And that also makes you, you like that. Well, and neither one of those teams wants a goalie. I mean, yeah. Calgary might want to upgrade, but they already have, I think $8 million invested in the position. Yeah. Winnipeg still has Connor Hellebuck, another guy that hasn't been traded. So, you know, something else has to happen if 
if one of them's taking a goalie and you just you don't have the picks, prospects, cap space to add one of those guys without trading something off your active roster. Yeah, and they're already uh, thin. <laughs> so you wonder whether or not it would actually actually really hurt your team to make a move for a number one center. Say you have to lose a top four defenseman or, um, like you mentioned, both of those teams aren't really looking for a goalie, which um, like probably their most valuable pieces are either Omar and Swayman um, for, for teams that actually – are trying to add a goalie, but um, yeah, I, I also wonder um, what the power play looks like without Bergeron or Krejci and, um, you know, just how effective the power play would be with, I mean, Bergeron for so long has been such a good bumper player on the power play that you just always know that he's going to be right there and, and that's the role he's going to play. And now, um, I think Zaka can be a good bumper player. Um, that's another thing he's going to have to really work on and try to perfect if he's going to kind of become a, another Bergeron, I guess, um, if that's the role they want him to play, which I assume it would be on the power play. Yeah, I mean, I thought he looked good in those in those opportunities last year down the stretch, and, and dare I say at times he kind of, seemed a little bit more dangerous than, than Bergeron towards the end of last year in that, in that role um, for one reason or another, but I, I don't, yeah. I mean, the power play is going to look different. I think you're not losing if, if Zaka is your replacement for Bergeron one for one, right. Uh, you're not losing speed on there. Like you're gaining speed on the power play. Zaka's a better skater than Bergeron at this point in each of their but you're You're losing more face-offs like to mm-hmm. open power plays and, that can kill power plays. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that, that's for sure. I mean, you'd have to, you'd have to win your fair share there, but I, I mean, honestly, I, I, I guess my point is I think like, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you're upgrade, if you're replacing Bergeron with Zaka, I, I, let me rephrase speed is just about the only place where you're kind of upgrading there. I mean, everything else you check off to Bergeron. I mean, I, IQ, uh, finishing ability, face-off percentage but those are all things that you know Zaka is going to improve upon and I think he has a great ceiling I'm just saying I mean Bergeron's a first battle hall of famer so yeah it'll be interesting to see I mean there's a there's so there's so much to figure out with this team I mean I I honestly feel like guys that I mean for all the reasons you you rattled off Scott just lack of assets lack of cap space lack of dance partners uh I don't, I don't, I don't know if there's a move out there to be made. Even if the Bruins wanted to for once for a one C, and if that's the case, like I just, I look at this Bruins team going into the season, and as it stands right now, I mean, they're gonna have to scratch and claw for like ninety five points. They're they're gonna have to scratch and claw and hope that maybe it's a low low wild card year where I mean, I just don't, I don't, and 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 I guess my point is, if that's the case. Like, should the Bruins be exploring other potential players to maybe trade that? It's not going to make or break the team because the expectations aren't there this year. I'm not saying the Bruins can't be a competitive team, but here's an example, right? Since there's no cup aspirations based on this roster and losing Bergeron really hinders that. I mean, if you had Bergeron, it's different, but you don't. Like, if are you more willing to trade somebody like a Matt Grizzlick and just bring in 
a Mason Lorai, and maybe he's not right away a one-for-one replacement because of Grizzlick's experience, but you know what? Maybe it just helps get some money off the books and bring in a younger player. It seems like one of those transitional years, does it not to you guys? Yeah, certainly. Um, at least to an extent, but I've, I've kind of said this before and, and I feel this way pretty strongly now. Like I'm okay sitting here now, assuming you get deals done with Swayman and Frederick who are still restricted free agents with the clock ticking towards potential arbitration hearings. Um, but assuming those guys are back, like I'm okay saying, okay, this is our roster Go into the year with it as is see how things go. And if you're, you're better than expected and you know, you're kind of right in the middle of the playoff picture and you're the fourth or fifth best team in the conference, then you consider doing something bigger around the trade deadline, even though, yeah, you don't want to be in the habit of trading away more first round picks or whatever. But if you think you have a chance and it's, Hey, number two center is what we need and someone's available. Like, you revisit it then. I, I don't think you need to make that move now. I'm kind of okay with seeing like what this team is and what kind of position they put themselves in because the flip side of that is if things go south and you're kind of out of it and you're clearly not going anywhere and you're more than just one or two pieces away, well, I think you have pieces that could be pretty valuable come trade deadline that can help you get back some picks, prospects, and turn this into – not, you know, a long-term rebuild, but a pretty quick turnaround transition period. You know, Almar could have a lot of value by the trade deadline. You look on your defense with, whether it's Grizzly, Forbert, like Shattenkirk on a one-year deal, those guys could have value. A Van Riemsdyk as a rental uh, somewhere. Like, I-, I think you have pieces that other teams could potentially want come trade deadline if – your season's not going the way that you were hoping. So I'm okay. You know, as I sit here and look at the Bruins, I'm okay saying we're going to go into the season with what we have. We really like our defense and goaltending. We'll see what happens up front. And depending on how the first three or four months go, we'll make a decision about, all right, this team's worth investing in. And and we think we can make a move that gives us a shot to contend or, we have a couple pieces that some other teams might like and we can get back some, some picks here. Yeah. Hopefully it's not that one. Um, that would be, that would mean that the experiment that is this current roster uh, failed without Bergeron. Um, so, you know, you'd at least hope that they'd be a playoff team, even if it's just wild card, like we mentioned before. Um, and remember, the optimism from last podcast, guys, where the hell did that go? Remember how we were talking about how the rest of the teams in the division also got worse yeah. and that it wasn't just the Bruins that got worse and that, you know, there's still a chance for this team to be a playoff team. Like it's, they, they could still be a playoff team guys. Let's it was under, that was under one massive assumption now. I mean, no, because we talked about what the team would look like without Bergeron too. And that, Obviously, you're not finishing first or second or third without Bergeron, but you could still be a wild card team without Bergeron. I mean, look, anything is possible. I think that, I think mainly, I mean, where I was going last week was if they still had Bergeron, their needs going into this year weren't too dissimilar from last year, but now you've lost your number one center. So 
I mean, Tampa Bay didn't lose Stamkos. Toronto didn't lose Matthews. Florida's not losing Barkov. I mean, that's significant. And like, I, I don't, I don't mind standing pat here. Like as the season starts, I, I, I mean, I don't. I guess what I'm saying is, I just feel like I don't need. If it's if if it takes a couple of lumps this regular season to get better quicker, I, I'm 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 not like I'm not even saying it's a bad thing. I mean, I'm I'm looking at this roster right now, and and look, last year did Florida upset the Bruins? Yes, but did Florida have significant positional needs filled? Number one center, for example. Yeah, they did. Like they had that. You can't ask you can't ask a team that that they're 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 significant personnel short up front to 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 be a contender. I'm not saying they can't have a competitive season and let's let's see what happens. I'm just saying like what what Stanley Cup team has ever ha- not had a number one center? Oh, I'm not saying they would be a legitimate contender at all. Just that no, they I could know, be a playoff. No, I, no I, I get that. I guess what I'm just saying is like it just Scott, when you say that, it kind of it kind of just sounds like, and and you're only saying this because it's not you didn't ask for this. Like you're just like, well, this is what they have to deal with. Like, you're, you're accepting the reality. I'm just saying like, that's like it's more or less just kind of conceding. Like, eh, let's just be mediocre and see what happens. Like I, I kind of I kind of if it wasn't for this centennial season, and 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 it's it's ironic to me that in their 100th season, like all this is going to start to come to the forefront and this massive. Uh, looming void that we all knew was inevitable, which was Bergeron leaving. They're going to have to face it when, when the spotlight's on their organization's hundredth year. But if it wasn't the centennial season, I'd, I'd be sitting here saying like, I, sure, sure. Try, try. But like th- this team's not gonna, this team's not going to win a Stanley cup. And, and, and I just don't think being mediocre helps the franchise long-term. So if you have to maybe sell off a couple pieces and help these younger kids develop, like bring up Lori, bring up Merkelov, bring up Lysel. Like what, what at this point, why, why deny these kids opportunity? Like, let's see what, let's see what they have. Let's see what this next wave is. Like, who knows? Maybe, maybe a year or two from now, like Matthew Poitra is like a number two center and Zaka turns out to be number one center. We don't know. I'm just saying like, I don't, I don't want to suppress some kids in the system that I think can maybe just break through because you're not, you're no longer trying to, scratch into an NHL full roster. Like there are holes on this team and to not allow some younger kids to come in. And if that means trading away a couple of roster players to do so, just do it. Cause like, I mean, I don't know. I, it, that, I that, I'm just trying to say like, if, if it, if it means le- letting go of some good NHL players in a year where they're, let's be honest, you, you're not going to win a Stanley cup and that helps you see what you have coming up. Then maybe, maybe it's time to do that. But I hear what you're saying, Scott, like maybe see what happens. I just, yeah. you know. I also think that plan, though, at this point requires waiting because if I'm not trying to do everything possible to, you know, free up cap space and make sure I, what you know, upgrade my roster, whatever, because we're contending, well, now I'm even less inclined to just dump a player. Like, I might, if, if I'm thinking about trading Grizzly, I might as well hope he has a good season playing next to McAvoy and build up some value because I think Sweeney has already explored trading him and obviously didn't find a deal that he liked that made sense. Same thing with the goalies. I'm sure I think he explored that market, but didn't find anything that makes sense. So I don't know. Hope they hope your goalies have really good seasons again. And there's a playoff team somewhere that's goalie 
desperate there usually is. And maybe they have more value, you know, as you come up on the trade deadline and you can actually get something like So I think even that plan of, well, you know, can we create some, some spots for some kids? I, I think that opportunity is there. if Those guys earn it. Um, but in terms of just like opening up spots, you might as well wait even on that and, and hope guys build some value for you to trade them in season. Cause again, right now, so many teams are just up against the cap that, that look, there weren't a lot of trades anywhere this off season. Like there's the Dubois trade and not a whole out, lot outside of that. A lot of the names that were supposedly available didn't get moved. Um, teams are just too up against the cap to make it work. So I don't really think you're getting anything close to fair value for anyone on your roster right now. So you might as well hang on to them, ride it out, hope they they help their value during the season. And And if you're not in it and you don't have a chance, then you capitalize then. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's going to be a very different season than last season. Very, very different. Um, so, not gonna not gonna break their uh, their record for most points in a season this year. Uh, but I I don't know where you guys want to go from here. We've been talking about the replace uh, the you know I don't know if really Lack ceiling action plan. Yeah. Um, uh, did you want to switch to talking about some of the, you know, the Bergeron moments or final, do you have any other thoughts on? Yeah, I'm, I'm good to do that. I mean, the, the only final thought I had is we were just the last like half hour, we've been having this discussion about kind of moving forward multiple times. The thought has popped into my mind of just like, Pretend that this Bruins team going into next year had Taylor Hall and Tyler Bertuzzi and Dimitri Orlov and Patrice Bergeron and like just like how in God's green earth did the Bruins do that? How 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 did they choke that series away to the Florida Panthers? I mean that and I'm not trust oh, me. I'm we're not, back to this. I'm not, I'm not trying to relive it, but it's just Bergeron retiring after like after that loss last year and how much talent that team had. That's just really really unacceptable how, how mm-hmm. you had a 3-1 series lead and you had and and that roster because 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 we're talking about trying to piece together a respectable roster for next year and it's like you think back to what their roster was three months ago and it's like how and how how does that happen but and I, talking about him really going out on top would have been going out on top yeah. with that roster doing what they should have done going to the stanley cup and that's you know how he would have scripted it. Um, or even a second round. Even, a yeah. Round. Like, but, on. you know, yeah. that's what going out on top needs usually. So, And, I mean, we all we all knew that, like, that season was as all-in as all-in gets with everything they did before the trade deadline and what they traded away in draft capital for rentals, which, you know, yeah, we could sit there and say, hey, maybe they re-signed Bertuzzi or Orlov. But realistically, we we knew there was a decent chance those guys were true rentals. But you know that team was worth doing it for. Again, we've we've covered this. Like I, I wouldn't have any regrets if I'm Don Sweeney. I, I think you did what you thought you had to do for a team that gave you as good a chance to win a, a cup as any team we've seen. Um, but yeah, then you know. I, I keep thinking about what David Pasenak said right after the season when he said, like, it hurts now and it's probably going to hurt even more in the months to come, like, you know, paraphrasing him. But 
it's like yeah it's like all, all those guys knew they knew there was a good chance that this was the end for Bergeron and Krejci at the very least they knew there was going to be a ton of turnover and guys not coming back um you know and now now you see it now it's playing out so uh yeah it's the that's the price of of going all in and and you know it's not on not on management it's on the players and 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 the coaching and they're the ones who are gonna have to you know live with with their regrets there and they and they lost to a team with you know a 40-year-old Eric Stahl, a 37-year-old Mark Stahl, Radko Gudis, Nick Cousins, I mean, Ryan White from like Walpole, where he's from, Sam Bennett. These are the guys who beat you. Now, I'm not – obviously, I, I'm omitting Matthew Kachuk. He was the biggest reason, and, and Brandon Montour. But, like, that, that that Panthers team, honestly, there, there weren't Did, many didn't even get Didn't even get great goaltending against no. you. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't no. until the next round that Bobrovsky got hot. Yet, yet a couple of clutch goals from Kachuk and from Montour, and a lot of self-inflicted mistakes by the Bruins. But like, I look back at that series, and it's like, I look at the Bruins roster, and then A, and then B, I look at how Florida, like, yeah, they played hard, but like, they didn't like. They, I just don't know how it happened because they just didn't overwhelm the Bruins with anything. I mean, yeah, the forecheck was good here and there, but it's like, really, that's that's the group of players you you, you lost to. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But... In any event, um, also the Bruins just had a video on Twitter of all the players kind of uh, wishing Bergeron well and thanking him. And uh, it appears that it was done in May during breakup day because there's some detectives online saying that they're all wearing the same outfits as breakup day. So maybe Bergeron can, can you hear the fire off. alarm going off? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would probably that'd be a telltale sign. So maybe Bergeron's known for a while, um, but. I guess it doesn't really matter at this point. The market's been what it was. Or or my thought is that they asked people to do it while they were all together. Just in case. Yeah. That's fair. That'd yeah. My thought. That's fair. So anyway, not to jump back to last, last April. Um, but yes. Yeah, so Bridget, absolutely. I mean, I'll just go first quickly. I mean, Bergeron without a doubt. I mean, in my mind, he's a, he's a top three, you know, for sure a top five Bruin of all time and um, phenomenal, like, like just incredible player on and off the ice person, role model, like 200 foot game, never took a shift off, never took a shift off. And 
he's going to be sorely missed. I mean, so many, so many great memories are because of him. And uh, I mean, huge reason why they won the cup in 11, which is, you know, for Bruins fans from whatever, like our age, younger, a little bit younger to people in their 60s, 70s, 80s. I mean, that's, that's only so many of those people have had the chance to watch. So he's an all time Bruin for sure. And one of the best two A players to ever play the game. And I mean, 2013 game seven, phenomenal, uh, 2011 game seven, just so many, so many, uh, career highlights for that, for that guy. So it's been truly an honor to watch him my literally almost my entire life, which is pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, third, third all time in Bruins history in games played third in goals, third in points. Um, yeah, I tweeted this earlier today, but obviously that, that 2013 game seven winner, like that's his most iconic goal in part because of Dave Gosher's incredible call of that. But to me, like the one that like, I always come back to is the second goal in game seven of the 2011, 2011 final, a shorthanded goal. that's just pure hustle play. He gets, you know, take, draws a penalty on the play, but basically just goes sliding into Luongo and, and you know, knocks it home to make it three, nothing. And at that point, basically seal the cup. Like I know, you know, Bruins fans weren't, didn't want to celebrate too early. Right. Because everyone also remembered the collapse the year before against Philly 2010, where they had a three, nothing leading game seven and, and choked it away. But you, you kind of knew like that just felt different that Vancouver, like that arena was went totally silent after that, because it's like, that they have a power play. We knew that Canucks team obviously had a loaded power play. You're thinking, hey, if they score, gets to two one, that arena would be going crazy. And it's just, you know, actually Gregory Campbell who wins the faceoff because Bergeron kicked out of the dot. Seidenberg goes off the glass, kind of lucky bounce, and Bergeron just takes off. Um, that one that like feels the most fitting to me to kind of sum up his career because it was shorthanded. It's just hustle it's not pretty um but it's incredibly clutch and, and seals seals that cup um i also think about like just how lucky we are that we got this long of a career from him this great of a career because i also remember his concussion problems that for a time looked like they legitimately had a chance of ending his career um the hit from behind from randy jones and in 2007 he misses the rest of that season continues to have some concussion issues even up to that 2011 run where he has the concussion scare late in the second round, misses a couple of games of the Eastern conference finals. Um, you know, like you, every time there was a hit, every time it, there was a chance he had a concussion, like you worried. And then, and then he like got over it and you just like, I feel like we just haven't thought about it for a decade plus. Like he, he amazingly just stopped you know, have an issue. Maybe you got smart enough, you know, how to avoid it, whatever. Maybe it's just luck. Like, I don't know, but I do think back to like how scary that was for a while with all the time he missed and like the team had to like, like sent him away on a vacation just to get away from everything. And, um, you know, it, we know what that can do to, we saw it end Mark Savard's career. So, you know, he, you know, it's weird to say get lucky given, how bad they were for him, how much time he missed, but was able to recover and had, you know, all those best years came, came after that, which is just amazing. 
Yeah. And well, with concussions, I think it is a lot of luck. Right. So, and, you know, maybe some rule changes helped along the way because things started changing. Um, penalties got called differently, you know, targeting the head. The league was trying to really enforce getting some of those really bad hits out of the game after that. So, um, yeah, probably luck more than anything uh, for that. But he ended up having a very long career after that concussion, like you mentioned. So, yeah, you're right about that. And it does feel like something that we come, we kind of forgot even, you know, about because it was so yeah. so long ago. And, and you mentioned rule changes. Like, he's part of the reason the rules did change, too, because he was very open about what he went through and was kind of at that time, like, one of the only players really – speaking up and opening up about like how it affected them. And, and I think once more players started doing that, like that sort of helped change the culture to where it wasn't like, Oh, well, you know, get your head up, tough it out type thing. And when it was more like, Hey, like these are actually doing real damage. And like, people are talking about this now. And I, I think that mattered. Yeah. In terms of like, moments from his career though that that i remember and that i i will think about um when i think about bergeron for sure the toronto overtime goal that's i mean that's just because that was such like a a high like an instant high that every bruins fan got when they watched that goal and like uh the whole the whole new england uh was talking about that for a long time still we still are um but to to talk about how important he was in game seven for the Stanley Cup. Like I mentioned earlier, he scored the first goal of that game too. So he he had two goals in the Stanley Cup final. Like when when you needed him to be clutch, he was clutch that year. He's he sealed it off. And um like you mentioned, I was watching that highlight from his second goal that made it three nothing. The look in Luongo's eyes was like, oh no, like things were falling apart after that point. Like Things were falling apart for you to give up a third goal, shorthanded, right when you really needed to score on that power play. So, um, yeah, I guess that is kind of an epitome of his career. But you, you want to know what else is, too? That one goal that he saved with an empty net. <laughs> Do you remember this? He When he skated the length of the ice and stopped the puck on the goal line, and pulled it out uh, and they had to like review it and make sure it didn't go in, but he just hustled his way all the way back um, to save it from going in the net. Yeah. It's, it, it, it is wild to think about uh, you guys bring up such a, such a true point about the concussions and how we just kind of forgot about it because the first concussion was in October 07, the Randy Jones hit from behind, like you said, cost him the season, the second concussion, was the following season he tried to hit Dennis Seidenberg, who at the time was playing for the Hurricanes at like center ice. He tried to hit Seidenberg, and Seidenberg, as we all know from his time in Boston, just was a brick wall. And then yeah, the Claude Giroux concussion I, in in the 2011 playoffs, and all that all those happened. Those that's three concussions in four years that we knew of, right? And another thing I think about is it's crazy because um oh by the way and sorry Brian, but to to talk about the concussion thing like in more recent times when Bergeron was hurt after that Montreal, when he left that Montreal game, we actually did wonder if it was a concussion because they said it was an injury that he already had and it was being, it was re-aggravated. And so like people were thinking, okay, well, this is, 
injury that he's already dealt with. Um, and we didn't necessarily see it happen in real time. Maybe it was like a bump that we, we didn't notice, like shook him up and maybe it was a concussion. So, um, then when we found out it was the back, um, you know, that's better news, um, than if it had been a concussion. Yeah. There's also that, there was that awkward hit from Sidney Crosby. That was two seasons ago. Right. That was like, I think what did that end up being like? He needed stitches or something. Instead, it was like a cut. And I like guess helmet had gotten jammed in to his head or, or something like that. It's so, but like at the time, it like looked like it was a hit to the head. And you're like, oh man, is that like, is that what that is? And, uh, and Radic Fosca for Dallas got him a couple of years back too in Dallas. And people got, I mean, at this point, actually, now that I think about it, that was probably like five years ago, which is crazy. But because Tori Krug is on the team, and I think it was pre COVID. But, um, back to real quick though. It's like when you, you look back at his, at his career, right? You had 0304, 06, 0607. So that's three seasons. The following season was lost. Cause he got that concussion like a week into the season. So that season's done. So his fourth NHL season was 0809 and then 910. So he won the Stanley. Now that we look back and we know it was 19 seasons, he won the Stanley Cup in his sixth NHL season. That's a that's pretty. It was technically his seventh, but but he missed the, the entire year. And then there was a there was a, a lockout year in 0405. So he had been in the year in the league for more years than he had seasons. But it's kind of weird to think about how it was only his sixth NHL season on the ice when he won the Stanley cup after 19 seasons, looking back now, he won that pretty early in his career, all things considered right around the, the, the one third mark. So um, I, I, I think, I think along with all the admiration and accolades, people will, will, will rain down on Patrice Bergeron. The only thing people will say about Bergeron in this Bruins era, as it's now, I mean, he really is kind of the end of an era here, right? I mean, Bergeron goes, Krejci goes, I mean, you're really left with Martian at this point. Um, you know, the knock on the Bruins is they may have left a couple short. And by a couple, I mean Stanley Cups and, and Bergeron included. And when you think about how he won that Stanley Cup in his sixth season, um, you definitely and, – and they were set up for so long after that. But um, that's the only thing. But that's but again, that's, that's, a, that's a team success and a team failure type thing, but not an individual. But, yeah, it's just wild. Uh, what a career. What a run. And um, lucky is, is definitely the term to, for, for Boston sports fans. I mean – for him to play his entire career as a Bruin is very uncommon for one player to do it for that long with one team. And I, I think, I think he should be held in honestly, like Tom Brady's Tom Brady. What he did here is remarkable. And a couple, you know, David Ortiz and a couple of others um, in their sports have done some miraculous things. Bergeron didn't get as many rings as some of these guys, but I mean, that aside, he should be held in the highest regard. And I don't know if you guys have, does Bergeron crack your, your top three Bruins of all time or top five. Have you even thought about where he is on that list? I mean, obviously it starts and ends with Bobby Orr, but after that, I mean, you got Ray Boric and Bergeron and a couple of others that really are kind of vying for those top five spots. Well, I know Scott's thought about it because Scott's putting together the Centennial team. So Scott knows where he would put Bergeron, I assume. Yeah. I'm, I'm technically not allowed to like reveal my rankings until they go public, but yeah, like you're, you're obviously, in the ballpark, I, I would say, you know, I think like or Oren Bork are, you know, pretty obvious at the top. And then like, you could have Bergeron anywhere three through 
don't know, six, seven. Like he, he's obviously way up there. So um, yeah, without giving away like, exactly where I have him, it's yeah. I think you're, you're pretty safe saying he's um, at least in contention for the top five and potentially even higher than that. Like, I think you absolutely can make the case for him being third, you know, you throw Esposito, Busick, Eddie Shore, Neely, you know, Milt Schmidt. Um, like, there's a lot of guys who have great cases to be that high on the list, but he's absolutely right there with any of them. Like, you know, did win a cup, had the longevity, has the point totals in, in you know, franchise history at or you know really high up on like just about every list so um and all the selkies like that's having two more of those than anyone else in history i know it's not you know an mvp award and he he never finished top five in mvp voting but winning six selkies is incredible and this you know i think it's absolutely fair like i guess we don't know exactly how great defensively players way back in like the 30s and 40s were especially forwards but in modern times like it, you can absolutely say with good amount of confidence that he was the best defensive forward ever or at least expansion error or whatever parameters you want to put on it but um yeah so he's gonna yeah he's gonna land very high on on my list and i assume on you know whatever final list that we end up putting out as as a group when uh, when the centennial team gets announced, what what happens when you guys disagree on like where like especially the top five? I feel like that's going to be tough to agree. But there's about what fifteen or twenty of you <laughs> putting it together. Yeah. Well, I think some. I my understanding of how it kind of works is I think the list is just going to be like a like we all submit our list, and then I think it's just going to be like a calculated combination that spits out like the ranking. But then what we get together and discuss is like, we're actually building like a 20 man centennial team of 12 forwards, six defensemen, two goalies. So I think that's what we all like. We'll be spending a day talking through. You and Connor Ryan and Matt Porter, and you're going to have to fight over who's getting. Yeah. Yeah. Matt Porter might be zooming in from, from parts unknown wherever he happens to be on his trip around the world at that point. I, I, I have a question for you. Like, and I don't want to, I don't want you to have to reveal your secrets, but one thing I find interesting is for this exercise, so many of the greats that, that will be high on this list and anywhere on this list, really, but specifically high in this list. Unfortunately, you and some others were born after their time and highlights from a lot of these players times aren't readily available. So like, are you, for players you didn't have the luxury of watching throughout your life where you have to, is it just more or less reflecting on just like, like stats and just rhetoric and it, like, cause I would, I would love, Hey, if anybody from Nesson's listening, in, instead of 50 episodes of, you know, Charlie Moore outdoors from 10 years ago, can we get some like archived like Bruins games from the seventies and eighties, just like constantly on and Red Sox and all the sports. Like, can we get some archived games from the New England sports network on the, onto their channel? That'd be yeah. great. I remember when they, I don't remember if it was Nesson or, or maybe even like UPN back in the day when they used to play more of them. 
And mm-hmm. yeah, like I would, I would just, it's fascinating just to watch because it's like, yeah, you want to see those old players, but also it just looks like a different sport. Like it's awesome. It does. <laughs> yeah. It's back, back in like the, um, I want to say maybe you were like 2000 to like 2005 around then Nesson used to have this, this show called fan attic and yeah and like you would tune in and i still can think of the theme song was like and then and like they had like a narrator and he would he would like they were like chronalize like game by game highlights of like the 1970 season and it was just really cool and other seasons in that era and uh anyway so to my my question though scott like it, it must be tough to kind of do your due diligence with with only so much readily available yeah i mean it's it's stats it's looking at things like you know, how important they were on teams, you know, did the, did they win a cup Were they one of the best players on a team that won a cup? Um, were they one of the best players on teams that made deep playoff runs? Uh, how do they compare to like the rest of the league? Like where do they finish in heart trophy voting or Norris voting or what do they win for awards? Things like that. Um, and then, you know, trying to like read up on, because what they tell us is, the definition is like the most legendary players. So they leave that open to us. So it's like, okay, also, you know, were they kind of bigger than the game? Like were they regarded as a superstar? Because like then I guess that would make them a little more legendary than maybe someone who was a good player on a good team, but might've been a little more under the radar. So like I tried to take kind of all that into account. Um, it is hard to compare across errors because it's like, I, like I mentioned, like Bergeron not finishing top five in Hart Trophy voting, and then it's like some someone like Eddie Shore won four Hart Trophies, but he was also playing in a smaller league in a completely different era where the game looked completely different. And it's like, it, like how do you balance something like that? You know, like Eddie Shore's four Hart Trophies in the '30s aren't the same as like a heart trophy today or even yeah, he didn't have to try to beat out Connor mcdavid for one so <laughs> yeah so like stuff like that's tough but i do try to look at you know how do you compare like within your era basically like were you one of the best in your era did you just play for a long time like all that you know did you help them win a cup or multiple cups so um you know try to like I try to incorporate a little bit of everything. And then at a certain point, it kind of just gets down to like gut feel. Like I don't have, I don't have like a formula where it's like spitting out numbers for each guy. And it's like, but you love, okay, well I'm just going to rank them all. By these stats. What? You love your advanced stats here. Yeah. So very... like the, what's in like the closest you can probably get with advanced stats for something like this is hockey reference does have point shares. Um, both by season and for career. So like you can look at that and it can be something of a guideline, but like that's, it's an imperfect stat and it's calculated differently. Cause like today you have more data for it than you would have in the 1920s. So, you know, there's also like people also played fewer games back then there, you know, right. if you go way back to the twenties, there were like 20 game seasons and then they went up to like 40 or 48 game seasons. So it's like, what are these? You can't advantage- even just go on counting stats either. What do you, what are the advanced stats for the twenties? How many packs of Marlboros they they smoke? Right. Yeah. I mean, how many how many guys you hit in the head with your stick and <laughs> force them to be stretched off? I uh, I'm actually I'm I'm curious. I want, when does this list come out next year? Uh, 
I so our lists are due in August, and then we have we all get together in September, and I think I think everything gets announced publicly in October. Oh, I wonder where I wonder right before uh, the season. Uh, I don't know if it's before or might be like during early season at some point. I mean, I know we talked about like how next season is it's it's unclear, right? But but there are there are still some Bruins on the on the current roster that are definitely going to be high on these lists. I mean, David Pasternak is eleventh in the franchise's uh, all-time scoring leaders, and he's 27 years old. He's, you know, he's halfway through his career. So that's, I mean, and then Marshan is a top 10 scorer. And, you know, Mila Lucci's coming back. I'm sure you talk about larger-than-life personalities. I mean, maybe Lucci will find himself somewhere on that list. I think he rightfully should be if we're talking 100, 100 players. So um, anyway, that'll, 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 be, that'll be fun. You guys have, uh, is Brad Marshan, before we sign off, is he the next captain? They're going to be captainless in their hundredth season, or is he going to pass the torch to somebody? You think? I, I think it should and will be Marshand. Um, I think he probably gets a C until, until he retires or he's ready to pass it on to someone. But that makes a lot of sense to me, rather than like bypassing him and going to McAvoy or Pasternak. Which I guess, like, I kind of understand from the standpoint of, hey, if you want to like really kind of turn the page to the next era and get it on, you know, one of those long-term pillars of, of your next core. But I mean, Marshan's the leader of this team right now. Like he's, he's one who stepped up when Bergeron was out in the playoffs. He was clearly Bergeron's deputy for the last several years. So it's like, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. I think it has to be Marshawn. And it, we think about the personalities of, of McAvoy and Pasternak as well. Um, Pasternak, he's kind of a go with the flow kind of person, it seems. Uh, and Marshawn has really stepped up in terms of leading. Um, we saw it in the playoffs. I mean, it kind of sounds silly to probably non-Bruins fans because they think of Marshawn as somebody who licks people and, you know, has not been the most mature player in the past, but he's definitely matured. Um, and we've seen it in, in particular this past season. He has really um shown that he has those leadership skills and I feel like it would be wrong to bypass him I don't care if you're really wanting to turn the page I think that that would be disrespectful to um the role Marshawn has played here for you know almost as long as Bergeron so uh it, it would be wrong to to go right by him and I think that people look, look to him for leadership so why not just give him the C yeah, I mean, I, I would be surprised if it didn't – if it did go to one of the younger two in Pasternak or McAvoy, I, I don't think it would go to them without going through Marshan first. Um, and, you know, the only the only way that, get, that gets tricky is if the Bruins end up floundering for a year or two and they decide to maybe sell high on him or something like that. While he has a C, that could be tough. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I also think he would um, – I also think that he is going to – hold the weight of, of the captainship in the centennial season and all that that entails, you know, media, um, you know, ceremonial things, all that stuff. So I think, I think, uh, and yeah, I mean, and he's the last, well, Lucic is back, but he's the last remaining champion from, you know, that, that, that season. Right. So it's a Lucic. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, all right, guys, I think 
we've 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 done a sufficient update for for our listeners on on the Bergeron news. Um, any final thoughts, takeaways? Uh, just wondering when the crazy news comes. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of weird that that's still still lingering, but I don't know. I, I I would be very surprised if if we find out he's coming back. Just doesn't uh, doesn't seem like that's gonna happen. Any uh, what's the timeline again for Frederick and Swayman? Uh, within the next week, basically, I think Swayman's hearings July thirtieth, and Frederick August first. So, okay, basically under a week to to get a deal in before you go to arbitration, which is no no one wants to go to arbitration because, it, especially if you're the team, like you have to basically make the case for why the player isn't worth as much as they think they are. Yeah. And that's done in front of the player. So it's, it's like, lovely. that. it's uncomfortable. Yeah. I think I remember that, I can remember a few like ugly arbitration hearings that were, like, they feel like maybe Zach Parise was one like a while ago where it went and then it was, it's just insulting. The Bruins would have a tough time telling Swayman why he isn't worth something though. I mean, he's I know. And Frederick having his best uh, career, uh, year, yeah. his but career. Like- with Frederick though, they can they can talk about how I mean quietly. Frederick's been on the team for like five years now, so they could talk about how it's, he's just breaking through now, and he was on a line with Taylor Hall and whatever. But with Swayman, it's like I mean he's just been steady since he debuted. It's I mean the only thing that they can say to him is that he carried the workload with Allmark, but that was not his decision. So yeah, and and talk about when you talk about Swayman, maybe a guy that will be on the next centennial team if he sticks around in Boston and plays to the potential we think he has. Well, and also like if from the Bruins perspective, if you get this worked out before it also, you know, potentially allows you to fit them into what you have left of cap space and not have to free up anymore. Right now the Bruins have 5.4 million. So, you know, however you want to split that up in your head, say it's, I don't know, 3.2 to Swayman, 2.2 to Frederick, like something like that. You can be talking to both sides and like finagle that into, into what you have left. If you go to arbitration and lose both and they come in higher, like there's no, you don't get to negotiate after that. Either you accept that and sign them for it or you let them go and they're, and they're a free agent. And it's like, you know, you don't want to have Swayman come in at four and Frederick at like two and a half. And now it's like, ah, crap, we're a million dollars over if we sign them. Like, that's, no, nah, you, you want to get it done before. And I guess I still think they will, but obviously they are now cutting it a little bit close with, you know, five, six days to go. All right, Bridget and Scott, thanks for uh, being flexible today. I mean, all of us kind of just were like, all right, we got to hop on and and do this do this this episode now because this is, doesn't get much more newsworthy than, than this. I mean, we're talking about an all-time player and, and, and professional. So uh, congratulations to Patrice Bergeron I mean, for making all of our lives just so much more enjoyable watching the Bruins the last however long you've been watching them. And we'll see what happens with the team going forward. They got the work cut out for them. And we don't, you know, we only have about, a, what, two months? Just about two months until opening night, maybe a little bit more. So um, we'll see if the Bruins enter the regular season as is and or if, or if changes are on the horizon But either way, we'll be covering it the entire time. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you very soon.